understanding the vendor landscape is almost as important as understanding the threat landscape. And anyone that thinks differently probably has a very aged program. And uh, I, <laughs> I would be wary of it. You're listening to Protecting People, a podcast focused on the human side of cybersecurity. Each episode, you'll hear real-world insights and learn about the latest trends in social engineering, malware, threat protection, cloud security, and more. Protecting people is cybersecurity for the rest of us. Let's get into the show. Hello, welcome to the Inside Line on Information Protection. I'm your host, Brian Reed, and thank you for joining us today. People are the modern security perimeter. This shift brings a new set of cybersecurity challenges because people's actions, whether negligent, compromised, or malicious, are the number one cause of data-related security breaches. Join us in our podcast series, The Inside Line on Information Protection, to learn how you can take a modern people-centric approach to information protection. Hear from our experts and industry practitioners as they discuss effective pragmatic best practices that you can apply in your organization today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. And this is part two of our conversation with Dan Holden. Dan, welcome back again. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So part one, super interesting. We talked about a lot of different topics around security frameworks, around certainly threat intel and the importance of it and threat attribution. I think in part two, we really wanted to get into a little bit of end users and vendors, particularly about the relationships and sometimes the maybe adversarial relationship there. Yeah, there's been, I mean, there's just constant chatter about it, right? I mean, it, it whether it's, whether I'm on Twitter or LinkedIn, I mean, there's just always somebody uh, commenting or, or oftentimes complaining. Uh, so it just seems like one of those those uh, topics and aspects of our industry that is just inescapable. Yeah, I mean, there's like you said, there's always that thread on Twitter, or LinkedIn of the the cranky CISO who's sick of their 80th cold call of the day, or that business development inside sales rep at vendor XYZ that's just frustrated from being hung up on or screamed at or blasted or named and shamed. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things where vendors and end users are a yin and yang in trying to solve the security problem. And I don't know, I, I view some of that backlash as, as a little bit childish. It's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I would agree. Well, you're an end user. So I mean, you, you tell me. Well, two comments here. One, it occurred to me today that if, if, if attackers want to successfully fish me, you know, put the, the malicious link as the unsubscribe link on a vendor email. That I think would get me and many others quite efficiently. And, and thank you to all the vendors out there that do have unsubscribe option on the email. And the ones that don't probably are the more annoying ones. So it, it is a case of, I think there are very, you know, there are vendors that take that relationship seriously and there are others that don't. And of course, as I always say, if, if they weren't finding success with the way they did things, right, they probably would stop. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a market driven system. You know, so the, the the day that those things stop working is the day they'll probably stop doing it. So, you know, it's it's one of those things I would argue that we almost bring upon ourselves. 
the other thing I would say is I find it humorous almost that you, you, you hear a lot of the pundits regarding, let's say, modern security programs, modern CISO. What, what is the modern CISO or what should it be? And, and it always, you know, well, the business is first, the business, business, business. We always hear that. You know, but I wonder how many CISOs have actually been responsible and tied to the business uh, prior to being a CISO. And I bet you the CISO landscape would look drastically different if that was the case. Uh, and I think the attitude of these, let's say, you know, for lack of a better descriptive, vendor haters would have a much different viewpoint if they had actually been on a business side before. Uh, whether that's, you know, <laughs> any type, right? Whether whether it's technology, whether it's marketing, sales, whatever the case might be. Uh, the moment you're responsible for, you know, carrying a bag or hitting a number or hitting a date and, and not just being a part of a big fat cost center, I think your attitude changes drastically. Yeah, and, and that's that's a great point that you bring up around you know CISOs being more business focused. And I see that all the time online. Everybody is, you know, understanding the language of the business. I've I've said that a ton in my life uh, as an analyst as well. But how many CISOs out there, to your point, have really had to carry a PL, have really had to truly run a business outside of the sense of of sort of managing a department? Or, or thought about, you know, just the, the relationship. You know, I think a lot of folks don't understand how important their feedback is. Uh, you know, modern product management is, you know, a whole different ball of wax is, is what you and I came up in. And it's all built on, a, you know, very timely feedback, especially consumer-driven markets, right? You know, so that even when you're saying no to a vendor, right, or even when you're doing a vendor, you know, or solution, you know, analysis, you know, bake-off, compare or whatever you want to uh, describe it as, you know, just giving feedback as to, hey, it, it's not that the a product or a vendor is necessarily bad. It's supposed to be about fit. Obviously, they're good to someone, you know, but, you know, if, if you're a smaller company or a larger company, you know, the, the solution you need could be miles apart, right? So this idea of, of best of breed and everybody needs to go find out what that best of breed is and chase it is it's just a, an asinine idea to me. We've seen it, you know, it can happen, you know, there and, and there are particular, you know, there are a couple of vendors right now that I, you know, could be put in that bucket, but it, it doesn't happen to most. And I think that, you know, obviously that's why the market exists. But this idea that, you know, oh, they've nailed it, they've figured it out and the others haven't, uh, that just, I don't think it's ever really been like that. So I just, I, I, I find that that attitude uh, still, the, the fact that that still exists is is uh, puzzling to me. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. I've seen end users who have bought, you know, top right Magic Quadrant products before and used a fraction of their capabilities and have done a incredibly poor job of operationalizing security and seeing any sort of value out of it. I mean, I'll, I'll pick on DLP for a minute because I covered that space and, and the whole theme of this podcast is around the inside line on information protection. But look at legacy DLP for a minute. How many people have really turned on all those great content inspection capabilities that are in there. By and large, very few people. You know, it, technology is obviously going to change all the time. Vendor solutions do, whether it's through acquisition or aging of the, the solution, whatever the case might be. But that's exactly why you've got to, that's why you've got to stay on top of it. I, I made the comment to David Spark the other day, 
who runs the the CISO vendor podcast, which I, I'm a big fan of. You know, understanding the vendor landscape is almost as, as important as understanding the threat landscape. And anyone that thinks differently probably has a very aged program. And uh, I, <laughs> I would be wary of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, it's just, I, I, I don't think that a lot of end users really, one of the things I think is really missing between end users and vendors is that empathy, putting people in the other, the other person's chair and the other person's perspective. It's a tough job being a CISO. It's a tough job being a vendor. I, I think that, uh, like I said, go back to some of the, the, the only word I can think of for it is childish. Some of the just childish stuff on social media about, you know, vendor X is spamming me with nonsense and their inside salespeople are bugging me like crazy. And I'm going to go vent to a you know, my, my thousands of followers on Twitter and, and uh, LinkedIn to, you know, call them out is just, it's, it's painful. It, it, it's, it's, it's almost painfully embarrassing. I, I agree because, you know, if, if CISOs think they have it bad, go try a startup. You know, I mean, literally, you know, one of the great startup books is, is called Hot Seat. You know, so if CISOs think they're on the hot seat, you know, go try being a, a startup founder and see how you feel about that. You know, yeah, the empathy aspect, a lot of that does come with experience, right? But understanding the person you're talking to on the other side, and this goes both ways, right? If you're a CISO, well, a CISO of a, of a, a company with 1,000 employees versus 100,000 employees is a very different situation for a CISO. And it's the same thing with the vendor, right? If you're talking to an early stage startup, maybe even still, you know, seed level, right? The what they're needing out of you as an early stage customer is completely different than what a, a public, you know, a publicly traded vendor might be. And so understanding how to manage that vendor relationship due to their size uh, is just as important as the vendor understanding how to manage you as a customer uh, with your size and needs and use cases. It is absolutely a two-way street. And I'm, you know, I think the folks that have been around and <laughs> let me throw this out here, Brian, the folks that actually do go to RSA and don't whine and complain about that as well, maybe they've got greater insight into that sort of you know two-way street. Uh, but again, the folks that that say I don't have time now, if they want to complain about the hotel prices in San Francisco, I'm on board with that. But again, the the folks that just kind of turn their back and you know expect that they're going to somehow magically understand the vendor space the technology space, the options that are available to them, whether it's build, buy, open source, whatever the case might be, you've got to invest in that. Or I just, I feel like you're certainly not cutting edge. And I think depending on your company size, your program, uh, your security program, you could really be missing out. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of situations and scenarios where that early stage startup is a fantastic fit, especially for very large companies. It, you largely have a large staff, large budget potentially, a lot of things going on, a lot of those proverbial spinning plates. But a, a really niche tool or a really pointed solution might help you solve a, a small component of a nagging problem that's really helpful to you. And the other thing is by doing that, you're really giving that startup as an end user, you're giving them a, a lot of really valuable feedback on helping to, to mold their product, move it forward, move their roadmap forward. Now, the danger in that is that if you have one or two large companies sort of dictating the path of a startup, you can 
very quickly guide them down the, the wrong set of features that just aren't super helpful. Uh, you can get caught up in a certain vertical, uh, like you can be building a product around, let's say, data security for financial services that doesn't really apply to healthcare or retail uh, or anybody else. But you, you run this risk of potentially railroading that startup by coming up with, dare I say, too niche of features. Uh, absolutely. And let me come at it from the other angle, because I think most people's minds do go to that. Like they're, oh, well, we need we want the big marquee brand. Right. So we can put it on our slide deck and, and you know, and, and nobody ever got fired for buying big, big security <laughs> vendor X. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in other words, oh, well, if if we're an early stage startup and we chase the big names, you know, the, the Fortune 500. Right. That's going to be a big deal and, and, and help get us jump started. And that is oftentimes the case. However, I would say the smaller companies, right? There's a ton and a ton of companies right now coming up where they're, you know, they're getting a first time CISO or or they're, you know, they're getting their first CISO. You know, and and you know, your program is going to be smaller, you're going to have less employees, you're going to have far less budget. But I I I would argue that these early stage vendors are are also very attractive at that level. Right. You're not going to be if you're a small program. Right. You're not going to be influencing any of these large vendors. Right. You, you don't move their dial, but you can be you can be running a smaller security program and still be very important to an early stage startup. And you can actually influence that roadmap. So as you just mentioned, right, a large a fortune, you know, 500 or, or 1000, right, they could absolutely derail a startup, but a smaller company is providing, you know, feedback at a completely different level. And I think that relationship can actually be just super fruitful. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the other thing too is is it's not just about product. It's it's this whole world that we live in now. And a lot of this uh, was just rapidly accelerated with what we all went through with remote work and continuing to stay that way for the foreseeable future, but it's, it's product plus service. It's how do I, how, do, how does that impact affordability is another big component, especially like you said, a lot of these smaller and mid-sized customers are going to be looking at that component. They're not going to have staff to throw, you know, Hey, I'm going to throw a, an FTE or two at this new product from the startup. They're going to need something that I hesitate to say the word turnkey, but they're going to need something that's a little bit more malleable and usable. Yeah, well, and, and just to revisit what both of you and I were saying, right, part of the problem that early stage startups have is that oftentimes they just cannot scale to a, a, especially at a Fortune 100 level. You know, so even though there might be a lot of interest in it, the, the scalability aspect just is, oftentimes is lacking. And what I would say for any of the folks out there that, that do dislike, you know, dealing with vendors or sales folks or whatever, you know, well, in an early stage startup, you know, you're oftentimes dealing with the founders or the first five or first 10, you know, employees, right? If you're talking about a relationship or, or you know, air quotes, partnership, it is oftentimes, I think, a very oftentimes easier with those size of companies. So anyway, you know, regardless, it, it just, it all depends and I wouldn't, Nothing is black and white in this world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, turn my back on anything just because I've had a bad experience here or I've, you know, read too much, you know, nonsense on on social media. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity depending on whatever situation you're in, whether you're on the vendor side or the practitioner side. Don't close your mind off to to those types of opportunities. Obviously, you've got to manage your time. You've got to manage your team's time. 
All those things are important. Um, so you can absolutely overextend yourself. Uh, so beware of that. Uh, but but besides that, I, I don't like the idea of being very closed off. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking of this podcast in chunks here. The first half of this, if I could come up with a, one word to maybe describe the CISO mishaps and the vendor relationship mishaps, might be a little bit of angst on our part. I know one thing that you're really interested in talking about is this notion of forgivability and this idea of forgivability. And, and I know you've talked about this uh, in a couple of different ways. Just I'll throw it out there. Okay, so we've got the, the angst and anger on the front end of the episode. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about forgivability. Yeah, which, which also still comes from angst and anger. The, it just comes from a lot of conversations like this. You know, once you start looking at a lot of the big breaches over the last, you know, especially 10, 10 years or so, you know, there are obviously some really big ones. But I have found it interesting, you know, the, just kind of the immediate reaction right? If, if you mention a particular breach, people will oftentimes respond differently. And it's interesting, you know, and I think two of the greatest examples of this is Equifax and Sony. Sony was a big deal. And we all, you know, maybe it's, maybe we don't talk about it or think about it very much anymore, because it was a, a, a silly move, you know, over a silly movie. But, you know, no one's ever going to forgive Equifax. Right. I mean, <laughs> everyone really was affected by that breach. And so I think you're always going to have angst and anger over that that breach, as opposed to Sony, which was, you know, a nation state uh, situation. And even though uh, I believe the CEO was fired, you know, so my point is that it was a big deal breach as as common everyday citizens. We just don't think about those two breaches in the same light. Right. There was a level of forgivability with, I think, the, the Sony breach. And so I guess that's that's kind of my point. Uh, if you, you know, if you're putting this in in like columns, you know, anytime I think you've got a a what I I think we would like to assume as an unavoidable breach. In other words, if you had done your due diligence, at, at, not at any insane level, but a, a level of hey, this would be the expectation of me as a consumer or customer. You know, you you'd be able to you you shouldn't have been uh, put in a situation where ransomware locked down. Uh, not even the business as we've seen in the past cities, you know, do I personally find, you know, the situation with Atlanta and Baltimore unforgivable? I do. Do I find, you know, a situation where if, let's say, if, if Putin is after you or North Korea or Iran forgivable? Yeah, that's more forgivable because frankly, you, you've got a, a situation where, you know, somebody really, it's the situation where, you know, if somebody really wants you, they're going to get you, right? You can't defend against everything. And so the, the idea of it was, you know, yes, in any breach scenario, it's going to be bad. The stock might go down for a period of time and bounce right back up. But what is going to be the attitude six months after or even six years after? Uh, that, that was kind of the idea of the conversation around that topic. Well, and, and it all goes back to the previous episode where we spent a lot of time talking about capability as well as capability, I would say, in this case versus due care. So there are some things at that base level of due care that I think we would all universally realize that we should be doing. But then, like you said, if it's a advanced threat actor and you are a SMB organization with 500 employees and you have a, a security team of a CISO and a security engineer, good luck because it, get, it comes down to capability and you're just going to get overmatched regardless of you know, what stack you have in place, what you're doing for the most part. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. There's there's just we we talked about the business earlier, right? There's a there's a balance. I at the highest level of a security program, I like to think about, you know, if I was if I was talking with the board, it, it boils down to three things. What are we protecting first off? And I think that's where a lot of the the business aspect of a of a, a CISO comes in, right? Have you even read the the public report? <laughs> you know, do you do you understand how the business makes money? Those sorts of you know uh, simplistic things. How much are we spending? And then what I think is the most critical part, and I think where security really struggles is to what level can we currently protect ourselves to, and to what level do you want us protecting to? And I think that's of course the guiding light that every CISO would like. You know. A lot of it comes down to, oh, well, we want to be just a little bit better than our competitors. You know, I've heard that guidance from CEOs many times. The, but I, again, that's why I like, you know, I, I find it funny, again, right, in, in threat intel circles, these are, are talked about all the time. Uh, and again, I would reference sticks. It, it, it's a very simplistic, you know, hey, you've got intermediate level, you've got uh, expert level, and of course, you've got up to nation state. Most businesses uh, that are not, you know, let's say Fed or, or financial, aren't going to be interested in, in protecting themselves at a, a nation state level, right? Nobody's interested in building Fort Knox so they can, you know, sell something online. The question is, what what are they interested in? And is the CISO and the security program in a position to be able to provide kind of that classic choice of good, better, best option for, for protection? So that's, that's the way I like to attempt to tee up the conversation. It's not as simplistic as it sounds. I think anybody can grasp it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a much deeper conversation. It's one that I used to have uh, back in analyst land. And we would talk about this notion of risk appetite versus risk threshold. And the appetite is supposed to be that negotiated between IT, information security, and the business of what do we agree that that risk is. The threshold is actually the maximum amount of risk that your organization is willing to accept. And a couple of problems here, if that gap between appetite and threshold is too large, you've got, that's missed opportunity 101 because you're basically being too conservative. But the problem is if that gap between appetite and threshold is too small or your appetite is higher than your threshold, uh, heaven forbid, you're setting yourself up for problems. And that gets into the whole uh, comment I made a minute ago about due care of you're, you're going to end up over your proverbial skis. Yeah. And it, the reason why I think this is a pertinent topic is, as you know, a lot of folks have been discussing, oh, well, you need someone on the board that understands security. And, and some CISOs are, are perhaps lucky in that situation. I would actually argue that I find that a, a bit, I think the pendulum swinging a bit too far. Yeah, of course, it, right? The more you know as a board member, great. And the more you, you, the more you have board members that understand all the various aspects of the business, great. And security now is a very important aspect of the business. However, I would also, I would put it back on the CISO. If you're unable to educate the board as to, again, those fundamentals, Here's what we're protecting, here's what we're spending, and here's what level we're able to protect to you. Where do you want to end up? Now, again, I know that's easy to say and, and hard to do, but I think that's what you've got to strive for. And so everything is, is edu- right? If you're, if you're an early stage startup, right, you're educating a market. If you're a CISO, you're educating the company or you're educating even your customers. And I think that's the way, you know, it should be, frankly. Absolutely. 
sage words of advice and and great wisdom there dan dan thank you again for taking all the time on the podcast really appreciate it always great to catch up and it has been a real pleasure yeah absolutely really enjoyed it brian thanks for having me you've been listening to protecting people a podcast by proofpoint never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player thank you so much for listening one of the key guiding principles as conference chair protect is that uh, this is a conference for our customers by our customers and the the bio customers aspect is very much ingrained through the use of customer speakers for them to share their stories with everyone june 8th and 9th is uh, protect americas june 10th is wisdom and uh, protect emia uh, will be June 15th. You can come to proofpoint.com slash US slash events slash protect. We have uh, all of our registration pages and details and information. So I am looking forward to seeing each and every one of you at our annual uh, conference.